Welcome to Bite Size Therapy Podcast with Dr. Brian Rosino. Dr. Brian Rosino has over 20 years of experience as a talk therapist, and he uses short videos dealing with mental health issues in order to connect and educate hundreds of thousands of people. On this show, Dr. Rosino will make reference to his short clip videos and do his best to explain the mental issue reference and how it can be addressed. Dr. Rosino does not give medical advice, but hopes that he can help people understand what is going on mentally in order to go ask for clarification with their own personal mental health professional. I have a couple of videos here. One, um, so obviously sometimes gone by, so I've liked other things, but there's, let's start with this one. My kid is not my friend, okay. but uh, everybody uh, wants their kids to be friends. 380,000. Huh? 380,000. Somebody liked it. Somebody liked it. Yep. So a lot of times parents will tell me, hey, look, I'm not my kid's friend. I'm not trying to win a popularity contest here. They just need to do what I ask them to do. And they never do what I ask them to do. Okay. Usually in these conversations, I take a step back and I'll ask the parents, well, tell me a little bit about your child. You know, tell me what you like about them, what they're interested in, um, you know, what they do for fun, what are their strengths. You know, tell, me, tell me some of that stuff. And there are times when parents will give me really they know some stuff about their kid, but it's superficial at best. And it occurs to me, it appears that they really haven't taken the time to get to know their child. And the child senses that and knows that the parent really doesn't know them or see them. Why would they ever want to do what that person is telling them to do? It's natural to not want to do the things that somebody asks you to do, especially if you feel like they have no interest in you. My background's corporate sales, and the minute a, a great salesperson gets promoted to to management, the first thing you have to figure out is you can't be everybody's friend. You have to, you know, look out for the best interests. Now, right. this is your kid we're talking about, okay? Right. Um, and everybody's going to try to sell somebody on something. Everybody's going to try and test. So, you know, whatever <laughs> you're, right. They test, they test. Yeah, they test. Uh, Absolutely. But it, but but it comes down, you know, what's important to you and your family and the values and whatnot, and what's important to your team and and its values. Yeah. Right? So, why do you think they got three hundred eighty thousand uh, views? Well, so I think I think a lot of this hinges on the word friend, you know, and and our definitions or associations to the word friend, you know, and. What what I'm trying to do is, you know, push back on that a little bit, you know, because sometimes because for some people, that's a sort of a fallback position. Well, I'm not going to be their friend, which means basically there's a level of reciprocity there. Like we're on equal footing. You know, we both have an equal say you take care of me as much as I take care of you like that kind of a thing. Right. And that's not what I'm talking about. Right. And I'm not talking about they should be your friend. But what I'm saying is what I end up describing is a set of qualities or behaviors that people then say, well, that you're asking me to be their friend. Right. And usually that is something like uh, knowing what kinds of uh, games they like, people they're hanging out with, activities they engage with in doing those things with them and having fun letting your guard down and being playful, understanding what you're understanding, what they don't like, un, receiving feedback, 
on things that you do that they don't like and actually like changing your behaviors. These are all things that I would imagine, you tell me, I mean, this, you can do all of these things and not give up one bit of your so-called power or control in the relationship. You could do all of these things. And I would argue be even more powerful because your kids respect you and then they kind of like look up to you even more, right? So the argument here is that like the heavy lifting, if you want to think about it like that, isn't so much in kind of like enforcing the rules and enforcing consequence. The heavy lifting really is hanging out with your kid, getting to know them, what makes them tick, what they care about, and then, you know, sort of being responsive to that. So that later when you actually ask them to do something or you correct them, they take you seriously. <laughs> you know, they like, like what you have to say, like actually, you know, I don't know about you, but I've had people in my life that like, just for their respect, the things that I would do, like, like you just cared. There was something about, you know, them and, and the way that they were with you that made you want to earn their respect. And I think, I think that, you know, that's part of what can come out of a recipe like this. I, you know, and I would imagine like in sales, that's the same thing. Like we're in corporations, that's the same thing. Like, and, and there you probably run the risk of seeming fake. I mean, that's probably, I think what a lot of people, what a lot of managers do. A lot of managers screw it. I've had managers like this when I was actually like working in uh, like a kind of a business thing in college. They try, <laughs> they try to do this. But they do a piss poor job with it. Like they take an interest in big quotes. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, okay, here they are. Here's Lon, who's taking an interest in me. Oh, look, he's taking an interest in my life. And he's nodding at the appropriate times. And you and that can happen with kids too, you know. But so genuinely like getting to know your kids, what they like, what makes them tick goes a long way and it makes life more enjoyable. Well, you, you brought up what makes them tick and the, the, uh, the parents, the managers, the leader, because if you're a parent, you're supposed to be a leader, right? So we're talking about leadership, right? I would agree. Yes. Oh, okay. So you can say all you want and kids, new employees, old employees, they're going to look at what you do. Right. Okay. Because you can never not lead. All right. That's right. Now, it's not do as I, you know, do as I say, not as I do that, you know, that, that type of thing. But mm -hmm. the authenticity part of it is they have to know when you say something, you, you mean it and you, you believe it. And here's the reason why. And when you act outside of that uh, zone, then they, they, they nod their head just because somebody's nodding their head doesn't mean that they're saying yes. Right. And you, you know, more than I do because you, I mean, you deal with kids when I say kids under 13, they don't know what makes them tick because they're, they are acting on an impulse. that's right. They can't control their impulse. Well, the kids don't know what they Yeah. Yeah. The kids yeah. may not know what makes them tick. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So we got to draw that line in there somewhere. And I don't know where to draw that line, but where, where, where I come into play is like, I'm a therapist because these, or I was a therapist. These kids will come out of college 
and nobody yeah. would ever tell them, hey, man, that's not good enough. Right. right. Or or the parents. I would say the things that the parents wouldn't say to them. Right. Right. Because in sales, I mean, you have an objective to hit. And if you don't, you have to fix that. And if you don't fix it, you have to go. Yeah. Right. In yeah. families, you got to <laughs> you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your families. Right, Brian? <laughs> That's true. Or your family's noses. <laughs> well, it depends how old they are. You can be a, you can be a friend. Are you still thinking about my grandma having her nose picked? So no, go ahead. No, what I'm talking about is you know when the infants you had that little bulb you had to suck the crap out of their nose. That's oh yeah, yeah. That thing is underrated. Very in. underrated. Yeah. Now you're talking about friends. You know, you know what's your definition of a friend? If it's like a Facebook friend or oh I know all these people, but. Sure. When it's two when it's two a.m. and you got to call somebody. Is that a friend? Are they going to pick up the phone? Right, right. I mean, like you're raising like a number of really good issues, and that's like one of them is is talking to your kids and being straight with them on on difficult subjects or subjects that like you know sometimes you might want to tiptoe around their feelings. You know, or or um, you you care about you you care about like maybe if you're going to like. So you're going to stress the relationship or damage the relationship or whatever. Right. And so, um, you know, there are certain things where definitely that, you know, that is more of a concern. Right. Um, and, and where that, you know, it is maybe more appropriate for them to hear it from somebody, you know, who has certain qualifications or who, you know, and that qualification might be that they're female, you know, who knows, or that yeah. qualification might be that they're, you know, a teacher who sees them every day. Right. Um, but I do think that like you're part of what we're talking about is that like, when you get to know your kid and you understand what makes them tick better, there are times when you, you know, you want other people to talk straight to your kids about certain things because of whatever qualifications they might have, which might be that they're a female or that maybe they're a coach that sees them playing that sport or, or whatever. And so, you know, they're just like kind of qualified and your kid's just better in a better position to hear what they have to say. Um, and, then, you know, there are parents who are just like afraid, though, to on certain things, have a straight talk with them because they're they, they they're afraid they're going to like damage them in some way. Right. Or damage the relationship in some way. And um, I think what happens when you part of what happens in this kind of um, setup of getting your kid, hanging out with them and, you know, is that there, you develop a lot of trust. Right. And closeness. But it does have to be a trust and closeness that has a foundation of honesty and transparency or, or authenticity, right? Now, that does mean that you are going to get into tricky spots where, like, feelings get hurt, people get upset, you know, but that's life in a lot of ways. You're preparing them for what is entailed with intimacy, right? When you get to know somebody, like, you know, there's lots of different things that come up in terms of trust and safety and being able to talk to each other candidly, right? So they, they have some of those early experiences with that, you know. Um, what what, um, what I'm talking about in terms of the, that relationship that gets established is that your kids then realize you see them in a, at a, in a certain way, 
And hopefully, if you're doing things right, they experience they experience it as you see them as bigger than they see themselves, right? And then what they do is they begin to then want to stretch and meet or, or be as big as you see them, right? And, and part of that meant me not letting you down or not letting that idea down. It's usually not letting you down, let's be honest. But, yeah. and that, that trickles over into lots of areas, you know, that involve discipline, they involve behavior and so forth. Doc, do you think that uh, everybody needs an uncle? Meaning that, you know, you know we, we have families and then we have corporations and we're, I'm trying to mix the two up. I would pay money to bring in an outside speaker to come in to speak to my sales team yeah. to basically tell them the same things I've been telling them <laughs> over time. Right. But it's a third that's what party I'm, that's, that's like my job, basically. Right. Yeah. So it's not like me saying <laughs> that's what that people think it is. Right. Right. So like I tell things to my nephew that my brother-in-law says to his kid but he doesn't listen to the dad. He'll listen to the uncle because I don't know if the, the authoritarian figure isn't there or whatever, but it's like, Hey dude, you can't do that, man. Here's what's going to happen. Good luck. Right. Yeah. And my kid, right. I would say the same things. And then I would have my brother-in-law talk to my kid and he would listen to them more. They've heard it, but they don't act on it unless it's somebody else. Is that true? Well, obviously it is, right? You're experiencing it. <laughs> You've seen it in action, right? The so uncle effect. Yeah. I mean, no, I think that I think it absolutely is true. And and you know, there's um it's an important thing. And and you know, it's there's lots of cultural things that, that come into play with that. But um like that's something that like is is important in many ways. One is that like uh it can take the pressure off the parents a little bit in some ways, you know, when it feels like their, their kids, you know, you, they're concerned about whether your kids are getting the message or whatever. You may want to, uh, you may, some parents are kind of clever and they set up situations, you know, where the kids, you know, can talk to other people or, you know, they know that subject's going to come up uh, with uh, somebody they respect and they can sort of orchestrate, you know, conversations. Um, but I think just the awareness that your kid <clears throat> does need to find out for themselves ultimately. And that's part of what's going to happen is that you're going to say these things, but all you're doing is tilling soil. You know, you're yeah, tilling yeah, soil yeah. and then somebody else is going to come along and they're going to put those seeds in or whatever, or fertilizer, whatever you want to say in this analogy. And you know, you're, but you play, you play a part, but you're not, you know, there are going to be certain things that they're not going to, they're not going to take to the bank that you say, right? And, um, you know, there's different reasons for that. Some of that is that uh, they are starting to, as part of the separation process, they're starting to devalue your opinion a little bit, or they're actually starting to, not devalue, that's wrong. They question, they question your, their, questioning your opinion a lot more it's less gospel now than it was before before it was gospel now it's more like a headline well, well it, they need consequences right they're like well I, I, I it never happened to me then it happens like oh crap you know it's almost 
that's a fine line being a parent is you got to let them, you got to tell them, say, look, this is what happened to me. It may not happen to you, but this is what happened to me. Yeah. Then they go out there and they do it. And then it happens to them and they have consequences like, oh, I better listen to the old man or I better listen to the uncle. Right. What um, what kids often feel like is and, and we, you can probably recognize this in your own experiences. I think many people can can uh, identify with this is that like in some ways you feel like your parents, they know you, but they don't they like still baby you, you know. Or they still don't give you the credit you deserve, right? Or they still question you, you know? They don't, they don't know that you're different, you know? Um, and they just say these things because they've got that parental fog, you know, in their heads because you're their kid, right? And that's, right. That's, a, that's a very common sentiment, you know? My worrying mother or, you know, my, my mom who, um, you know, doesn't really understand that I know things about the world uh, is afraid. And so I think that's just my mom being a mom, right? Um, yeah. Well, you said a real key word, deserve. I mean, it's such a subjective uh, thing. I think values are not negotiable, okay? Here are the things that are negotiable. Here are the things that are not negotiable, okay? doing drugs or losing control, whatever, whatever it is, you can do all this other stuff. We can talk about it, but this, you will not do this. You will not, it's not, it's not happening. Yeah. You can't stab, right? it's you can't stab your brother. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> you can only do it with a spoon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. There's a, you know, yeah, standards, those. standards, values. It's, it's not negotiable. It, yeah, know, there are certain things with bright red lines around. Yeah, yes. yeah. And, and and you stay consistent to it. It's sort of like even if your kid gets older and he goes to college, hey, man, I'll pay for the college. You just get the sheepskin. I don't care if it's an A. I don't care if it's a D minus. You get that skin and and, and, and get out of there. That's your job. Yeah. And tying it back to your video, which got 380,000 views, which is insane. Um, do, you, do you, on the comment side of things, is it, uh, see, I, I'm not that familiar with TikTok. You're the TikTok master and I'm, I, I'm still trying to figure out YouTube. There's a delineation between, you know, kids and adults. I don't know what it is on TikToks. Do you, is it mostly kids or adolescents, teenagers, a mix? Like who's yeah. giving you comments on that? And what? Are, yeah, you don't want to uh, breach anybody's confidence, but it's it would be itch, interesting to hear what other people are saying about it. Yeah. So you know, I get a lot of young adults. I get I get a fair amount of teenagers. What's a young think, adult? Yeah. So a young adult would be like people that are between eighteen and I mean, I'm being uh, you know liberal with the definition, but eighteen to like twenty five. Um, okay. and, um, I, you know, some of them certainly, you know, I've had people who, um, are in their thirties and forties and, and older with kids and, and parents and stuff like that, their parents, um, <clears throat> who commented on it as, as well. So, 
Um, but I do think I think that the majority of people that are looking at videos uh, are like under 30, probably under 25. The ones that comment are tend to be uh, in the, you know, kind of, I would say probably the 16 to 16 and an up range. Are the comment, are, are they haters? Uh, what's Let me the take a look. I was just, hate? yeah, I was just looking through here. And uh, I mean, you look and my quick experience is quick to hate. Not If somebody's going to take the time to make a comment, it's more on a negative side than positive side, just like in real life. It's a good thing it's election day. Yeah. So a lot of there's a lot of venting by people, you know, about like what their parents do and like you know, how this relates. And, and uh, my mom lived by the motto, I'm not your friend. And now I'm an adult and a relationship is horribly, horribly broken. That's word for word, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On something. So why, um, why is that? It's, uh, it, is it, because I mean, the parents had to have an up, upbringing too, because my, my little knowledge of mental health is, you know, you, whatever your formative years are, it sets the course for the rest of your life. So what, so what I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about like a quiz or a video on this well, exact thing. And it's something I've been writing about a little bit, which is like, what's, what's one, um, you know, like think about your, your parents' behaviors, right? Write them down, think that they write them down. And then um, I don't know how I'm sort of still thinking it through, but yeah. now think about your parent behaviors. Right. Or have somebody else think of comments on your parent behaviors and then <clears throat> see how much the columns match up. Right. You know, right. Like, like, like if I had a sheet of adjectives. Right. And one is for like I'd ask people to I think this is sort of like they did this like in attachment studies a bit in, in a certain way. They, they they circled the number. They circled the adjectives that would describe, you know, you circle the adjectives to describe your own parents. And then what you do is you have somebody who uh, knows you really well circle the adjectives about you as a parent, right? And then you put them together. I, mean, I say somebody else because maybe they, they may have a more objective view of you. I'm sure you could do it in right. circle it. Yeah. But we, we like to have a, a vision of ourselves. It's often not, you know, not <laughs> terribly accurate, self, self-promoting. Um, right. <clears throat> but uh, I, I think here's one thing that I think is a good uh, – thing for everybody to think about what's what's one parent behavior that you're what's something your parents did that you couldn't stand and that you recognize you are are doing now you do yourself right, right. um is that a rhetorical or you want me to answer i can i mean both. you can answer it if you want to it's it is more of a rhetorical um i think well I, yeah here i'm gonna answer it it's yeah. uh depending on how your parents are brought up, like I'm, I'm first generation. My, my, my dad came through a war and, you know, his, his mom and dad, you know, came through a war and they had everything taken away from them. So yeah. they are very, uh, hoarding, right. Yeah. You're not going to take any of my stuff. Uh, don't spend money on anything. Yeah. Uh, one pair of shoes, you know, that type of thing. When yeah. you're growing up as a kid, it's like, hey, man, pay less ain't going to cut it. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> right. Right. And 
you don't understand that when you're a kid, but it troubles me when you say these these kids say that their the relationship with their parent is broken, like after the college years. That that's kind of concerning because they can't understand. You know, you have to step outside yourself to look at the situation and say, ah, that's why they're acting that way. Now, not everybody's in the mental health field, like, well, you right. more so than than me, but. I think certain behaviors, and I think I think certain behaviors warrant that you know a little bit more. You know, there are more be- there are some behaviors that are uh, more benign or, or whatever that like where you can sort of you can give people sort of the benefit of the doubt or like yeah, you're you're less emotionally invested, right? Like like if somebody if somebody beats the shit out of me, yeah, you know, I'm. I, I may understand that their parents beat the shit out of them and that they, you know, grew up in a war zone, but I, I still have kind of an issue with the fact that they beat the shit well, out of Well, you don't have to be a war zone, but it could be that they're alcoholics and or they're alcoholics, you know, they're, yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and so I could still, I mean, you could still like I can still have doesn't make it's okay, but you yeah. understand why it happened. Yeah, totally. You can understand why it happened. And and that also can provide you that can provide you with some keys to like healing and peace of mind and and you know, insight there, um, <clears throat> but it also can help you understand ways in which the, you also may have adopted things um, and make a choice. Then you can choose, like, do I want to keep it or don't I want to keep it, yeah. right? Um, when you say choose, I, uh, the key word is control, right? Because we're talking about anxiety, anxiety, fear of the unknown, fear of what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't have control. You may not like what happened to you, it shouldn't happen to you, but you can understand why you have control. You can have a control on how you're going to respond to it, right? Yes, absolutely. So, like you know, like um, there's a fr- there's a phrase in the self self help literature. Uh, uh, it's a description, not an indictment. When they tell you, they the the phrase is off is often used in, in different contexts. But one is when we talk about um, our family of origin or, or our parents or our grandparents, and you know the idea is less about blaming uh which which keeps you stuck in a victim from a z- victim standpoint of people did things to me and now i'm kind of now i'm stuck with the effects and you know kind of more you know very much woe is me and and so forth um what what we are doing is really thinking about these things as <clears throat> descriptions that can help us now kind of take responsibility for the effects you know, like this. Okay, this is what happened. This is now like I have a better sense of the fact that um, you know life has abundance. I don't always have to worry about you know calamity or the house being taken from me. Yeah. Now I can like choose to live a life that involves like taking vacations or. I can choose to live a life that involves like, you know, doing this and that with my money. Just because my parents made me live this way yeah, doesn't yeah. mean that I need to keep living this way. I don't need to. And, and I understand why they live this way because they like grew up in poverty or whatever. But like, I, I have a clear idea that I'm not growing up that, that way. And it's not going to, it's not going to cost me as much as it, it might have cost them. Doc, what was that phrase he used again? Description, but not an indictment. A what? 
a description. A description. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm I'm trying to blend the mental health world and the business world because what we would call it, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on Jim Collins in his book Good to Great. And there's been many iterations. It's over 20 years old. But he, he talked about failing companies, failing businesses, and they would have an autopsy without blame. Like, yes. why did it fail? Okay. Yes. No pointing fingers, but this is what happened. Yes. Right. And that's a lot of, a lot of times people have a problem with, they, they get very defensive. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and. And if you can't step outside, you're taking it all personally and nothing constructive, you know, can happen. It's like, uh, it's my fault. I should have done this. It's no blame, but this is what happened. So we can learn from it going forward. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, the blame game is, is, is something that takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of time. And what, what it, what it, it's also stuck in the past. It's stuck in what happened before. It's not, it's, it's not rooted in what's coming and what I can do about what's coming or what it is that I want in my life. You know, it's not, it's not, a, it's not, uh, it's not looking forward. It's looking back and it's looking and it's, and it's staying there. Right. Um, <clears throat> but people are, uh, we all are by nature. I think we uh, more, it's easier to give uh, criticism than it is to take it for sure. Yeah. But it's also, it's also, it's, it's hard to give criticism and have people take it, you know, um, you know, and, and there's an art to that too. And there's, there's a sensitivity to that as well, knowing your audience and, you know, ways in which you can talk to them and you can't talk to them. I mean, I, I run yeah. into this with families all the time. I get comfortable with families and I joke with them and we talk about serious, we go back and forth between serious things and make, make a joke here and there. And I always have to constantly monitor if I've gotten a little too comfortable or a little too, you know, I went too far. Like I didn't, you know, like I thought I had the liberty to give somebody feedback more directly than I actually probably should have, right? Like I was a little too direct with them because I was just so too comfortable, right? Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't think about how they might take it. Well, half the battle that you're dealing with, isn't it? Where uh, ruminating thoughts or voices in your head, right? Because there's a record playing in the head. It's like, you're not good enough or this and that. And when they hear these things, what's the word trigger? I don't know. I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's half the battle that in your profession that you're dealing with is, you, you may have offended somebody, but you're trying to get them past where they're at, right? right. And, they, and they're, they're, are they taking it defensively? Is that what's happening? Or well, that's why the, are they that's, stuck? Well, that's the thing that, that, you know, constantly trying to get an idea of <clears throat> how people are hearing these things and what filters they might have up that, you know, it's, it's going through. So you, you're sort of constantly sort of, choosing your words and thinking, thinking about these things sort of care, very carefully. Um, because what, what, you, what you want is you, you want the person to, hopefully you're trying to get them to focus on the thing that's most productive, which usually involves a change in behavior. Like you don't really care so much about the, this is what you did and this is why it's not working as much as this is what you can do 
and how it's going to make your life so much better. But what people <clears throat> people get stuck on is the oh wait, you're telling me I did these other things and I'm doing that, that's wrong and that's a mistake. And no, what I'm telling you is I'm telling you I want you to do these things over here. These will help your life a whole lot. No, but you just said that I didn't do this thing over here, and that that makes me a bad, terrible person. What I'm saying is that your life could be dramatically better if you just yeah. started doing these things, right? And it's just like you can go, go back it round and round and round. And what right. you realize is this person's the person's not hearing a word that I've said because they are stuck in that narrative that they have. And, and it's a it's a tricky, it is tricky to break out of. Now, this could be kids, it could be families, and I'm gonna get into goals. Uh if people don't know where they want to go, I mean, any any road will take them there, right? So the uh, it's almost like uh, you know, families or in businesses uh, relationships, money comes into play, and let's just say a a parent passes away and there's an inheritance, yeah, right, and why did why did they get so much money? Why didn't I get that? And, and there's certain cases where I've said to certain people that, hey, you know what? Uh, if I can write you a blank check, whatever the number is, okay, uh, what would it take for you to feel better about the situation? And when people can't give you that number, that's, that is the most frustrating thing. <laughs> What do you think? It, why do you think that is? That they can't give you a number. Uh, because they're stuck in that process of uh, I'm uh, I don't know. It's either they're defensive or I'm not worthy or I uh, the can I even say victim card? Can I say victim card anymore? Like, what do you mean? They're like they're they want to play the victim card. Yeah. I, I don't even know if that, you know, to what end? To what end? Like what? Well, they, they want to point to everything else versus, you know, the thumbs that are pointing at themselves. Yeah. Because if they say, well, you know what, write me a check for uh, 500 grand and everything is clear, they'll get that money, but they're still unhappy. And I think they'll know that. Yes. Um, well, I think, I think here's the thing. It's not about the money in those situations. I mean, it's just so there's no amount of money. You know, it's really about the sentiment. It's really about where that person placed in someone's heart or where they thought they placed versus the, the sort of betrayal that they might be experiencing or think they're experiencing, you know, yeah. with this, this revelation. And, um, you know, trying to get their heads around that is uh, kind of kind of really, really messing with them. Now, <clears throat> it is about the money and it isn't about the money because the money's symbolic. Right. The money is like the amount of money or where the money comes from. Who, the, who knows what makes goes into the symbolism of it. But it is symbolic right. of their relationship. Yeah. And, and, and you're dealing with somebody who's dead, who can't the, the person's dead. They can't ever say anything about this. Right. right. And so and, and, yeah. and the key thing is perception is reality to that person. Yeah. Sure. No matter. No matter how unrealistic it could be in the commonplace of society, that's how they feel. Your job is to get them out of that place. Thank God well, so, I'm not in that person. <laughs> so my job, 
my job is when people come in and they tell me what's going on, I mean, the first, among the first things that like any competent practitioner will do is, you know, get an idea of what brings them in. People don't come in on a winning streak. There's something that's hurting. There's something that's bothering them. I don't go to the physician unless I have something wrong with me, bothering me, hurting me, or, you know, I'm like incapacitated in some sort of way, like there's some ailment. So I ask, you ask them why they're here. Now, people say they're, I'm here because of this. You know, I'm here because let's say I've got anger problems, right? At work. Okay. I get they just angry. got arrested. Huh? And they just got arrested. And he just got arrested. Yeah. Or escort out of the building or something. Yeah. 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 So, you know, but what you do is then you start to talk to them about the anger problems. You get an idea of what they look like when they occur and you get an understanding of that's, that's one description of a problem, right? In order to resolve the problem though, you've got a, maybe another problem underneath it, which is that um, whatever, you know, their, their dad just died and didn't leave them any money or whatever they think about that. And suddenly now they're like Jekyll and Hyde at work, you know? So, you know, so you got, you got a cup, you got a surface thing, but you got the other thing below. So you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to listen to what somebody's telling you and think about the scope of the problem, right? Mm -hmm. We usually have a very limited scope or idea of what, what our, our issues are. It's often, often though, like, people when they come in they start talking just by the just by the process of like talking about things many times they could they get a much bigger idea or awareness of the scope of the issue like man i didn't realize that bothered me so much or like you know i came in thinking i was going to talk about this one thing and not talking about this totally other thing but like like it feels right to be talking about that other thing and i i don't know why i didn't that didn't occur to me right so, but as a clinician, you're kind of thinking about those things at the start. Yeah. And it may just be a surface thing. It may just be that the person has something, you know, maybe they, maybe they drink half the pot of coffee in the morning and they're just, you know, flying off the handle at people. Maybe it is a very relatively cir circumscribed issue, but more times than not, there's a few things going on. So, so Doc, tying it back to the video, we'll wrap up. Um, <laughs> you're, you're, you're a parent, you're not supposed to be their friend or, you know, whatever it is. Do you think people come to you because they don't have a friend that will tell them the hard things? Because maybe the parents don't want to say their baby's ugly. They don't want to say they're not good, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and then the, the people that are around, depending on the culture you're at or the environment you're in, you know, people don't like uh, their conflict diverse, right? They don't want to, you know, a lot of people don't want to be straight up. It's like, you know, I, I'll let the other guy say something. Well, you have this person operating through society. Nobody's telling them our truth. Yeah. Then it's like, it's left for you. Yeah. That. So about that no yes it, it, it can be <laughs> that can be the case for some people you know um i think that a lot of times people do want to 
it's, it's the profession's been referred to as friend for hire, you know, before. Um, and uh, I have a friend who he's not in the in the business, but he's, he refers to his therapist as his friend for hire. There are books that you should check out to talk about, like the role of the therapist and like culturally there's there's, you know, like the shaman, there's the priest, there's the healer. There's the person in the village that is the sort of like the trusted individual to go to um, with with whatever. And they sort of they're given they're sanctified. You know, they're sanctified by the society. They're sanctified by the community as like the safe person, you know, that you can just go. You just go like they're not a, they're not any other person. They, they're somebody like you go and you tell them what's going on with you. And that, that's like expected. You know, and I think that that's largely what people want. They want that. They don't want somebody who's like personally invested in their lives in the same way that like a friend would be. Right. They want to be able to come in and tell somebody something, talk about it uh, and then go, go and just like get on with their life and then integrate whatever it is that they've taken from that as they like. Do you think being the shaman that when these people come in to talk to you, they should have something written down? So, by the way, I don't I don't view myself as a shaman or anything like that. But I do think that um, <laughs> I do think I do think that I do think it's a, there's the sacredness to to the process of being a therapist and, and therapy. I do, because people are coming to you with like like there's something really sacred about the fact that somebody's coming with to you with, with something that pains them and is really personal and vulnerable and they're trusting you with that. And that's like, that's like, like, I don't want to mess. I'm not going to mess with that. That's safe. I'm not saying that you're messing with it, but no, my, I know. My, yeah, my, yeah. my point is coming from the business side, if somebody doesn't have something written down that has gone over from the course of the week, or yeah. the last time that we've met, and it's just things that are coming coming up then and there. I love it when people come in with stuff to talk about. When they come, that's in, what I'm. Yeah, when they come in with stuff written down, when they come in with like an idea of what we talked about last time, and like they've actively been thinking about it during the week, and like applying, like trying certain things, they could sort of come in and <clears throat> that's that's great. Uh, that's great. In tr- if we are working on something a goal that, you know, that it really helps to keep an idea of, of some of these things, the progress. Yeah. There are people that just want to come in and they want to de-stress that, that, and that means that they talk about lots of issues and they're thinking out loud, you know, about it and getting feedback. And that actually is really useful in terms of organizing their thoughts, thinking about how they want to approach things. Right. And then the next time they come in with like a whole new set of things, right? But that's a, that's a sort of learning that they engage in that's like really useful. Dr. Raz, my friend. Pete Janssen. Pete Shaman. Shaman. Brian Friend. Brian Friend. Say friend. Doc, great show, man. See you, man.